Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to the Loaded Cock Podcast. Join Paul, Daniel, and their occasional guests as they dig in and talk about video games and the gaming industry. This week's episode, we discuss quirky indie games. There's no telling what we will say, so stay tuned to find out. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to episode two of the Loaded Card Podcast. Today's topic, can indie games succeed without being quirky? I am Paul of What's While Playing Today, and with me is Chop the Viking, my best buddy Dan. Welcome. Hey, how's it going? Not too bad. Not too bad. It's a good day, buddy. It's episode two. So yeah. far, I think we're doing all right. So far, I mean, I'm, I'm happy with what we've been doing. And speaking of which, last week we talked about big budget games and how they're hampered or how they can sometimes murder what people love in video games or beat a dead horse to further death. Why money is the root of all issues with gaming, so uh, to speak. Exactly. Do you have anything from last episode that you want to retouch on real quick? Like anything you've been stewing over for the past week? Anything at all? Honestly, there's a lot that I want to talk about because there's a lot that I feel like we missed. And I don't know if we want to at some point later on down the line do a, a review episode and retouch on topics that we've already done. But for once, I just completely screwed up the opener for it. <laughs> I really did. I had something really nice planned for everybody out there and then just completely flubbed it. And I felt bad. I think it better this time yeah you definitely nailed this one so that's a step in the right direction step in the right nailed direction. it like a pri- thai prostitute wow i did i completely flubbed that <laughs> did you nail that like a thai prostitute maybe that's the not. nature of nailing not. thai prostitutes is that you always flub it up maybe <laughs> all right, right. <laughs> moving right along so cool things going on in the industry right now kind of related to our topic i actually have something that i just found out about a little while ago it's actually news from yesterday a game that i know you're a huge fan of that's only slightly sarcastic because i know you're mixed on it trove officially has a million subscribers like a million people have registered to play trove yes i am mixed on it it's not a bad game per se it's just that i didn't find myself enjoying the time we were spending on it Yes. Which, in complete fairness to Trove, it was in early alpha when we were playing it. Yes, it was very early alpha. There is a ton more stuff in it now. I actually would love to go revisit it. But yeah, since July, they have had a million people sign up. That's impressive as hell, considering it's now August. This yeah. is August 19th, you know, op- pulling the curtain back a little bit for you folks. This is August 19th, we're recording this episode. So since July, whenever it actually opened, probably the second week in July or so, it's not got a million subscribers. That's pretty impressive. Uh, it's less than a month, and they have a million million people registered for it. That That's doesn't awesome. mean that they're all paying for it because it's free to play based MMO, but we will discuss Trove more later because it is one of the games that we will talk about with our indie topic. But that was just kind of cool to see because we have been poking around it since it was first available as, hey, you can buy into the alpha. And I did. And I've got it at a level that allowed you to invite some friends. And yeah, it was pretty fun. We'll get into early access at a later episode guess that also comes into play later what are you playing lately paul quite a bit actually with fallout 4 coming out fairly soon and the next couple months i mean got three months to go before fallout 4 comes out i've ordered the extra special super pit boy edition i'm super psyched about that because damn right a wearable pit boy how freaking sweet is that so in preparation for that i've started playing they finally released fallout shelter on android so i picked that up and 
it was free, so give it a shot. It's a fun little game. I've been, I have an iPhone, so I have the advantage of having played it for a couple of months now. It's it's a fun little simmy buildy game. My only issue with it is that it gets to a point where you're basically just poked to satisfy the status bars. And yes. it's going to get old after a little while, but I'm still having a little bit of fun with I, it. I reached that point a while ago. I check it one or two times a day. I have it built up to the point where everything's pretty much sustaining itself. I don't log in and the, all my bars lower and start flashing red and people die. And... I'm still working on that. <laughs> so it's actually kind of fun because you know I just check it a couple times a day and I really have two goals. Like I I'm 11 people away from having a Nuka-Cola factory. Nice. So you're near the end. Yeah. And then I want the maximum occupancy of your thing is 200. Wow. So you want to get to 200. My first goal is to get this and it's, you know, I'll have it by the end of the week. Um, sure, sure. Easily. Are you getting it through the radio or are you getting it through fucking? Radio. Okay. Because I have all of my people cycling through training rooms so that everyone has max stats. Because it's Fallout. You min max the crap out. Of course. You have to. And plus it's also kind of the, I doubt it will ever come to this, but if they have some way for your game of the Fallout Shelter to somehow affect Fallout 4, I want everything uber maxed yeah, out. Yeah. I'd be surprised if they did anything with it, that. I don't, I don't think it will. But I it's don't. just a fun little tied over until yeah. you get the fallout four and it's literally like i i go in and i waste maybe five minutes and it's click on everything i have a right now i have a cycle of three people out in the wasteland for two days at a time yeah like 48 hours at a time and yep. and then every day one of them will come back one of them will go out and the other one will be one day into its two-day journey and i'm in the process of adding more people to that i want a pipeline of like five or six because they come back with like 10,000 caps. Nice. And so, yeah, it's that's your moneymaker right there. If you can get a couple of people that can stay out that long. I've been able to keep them out for six hours before they finally die. And then I have to spend all the caps to resin. Other than that, I've been playing <laughs> Fallout 3 and a bunch of 3DS games on the new DS that I picked up, specifically Monster Hunter 4, uh, Xenoblade Chronicles, and Etrian Odyssey Untold 2. Yeah, you mentioned that last time, right? The uh... yep, I love Atlas games. Yeah. They're basically, if you're not familiar with Atlas, I think we said it last time, but they basically port ridiculous Japanese RPGs. And this one is specifically D&D on steroids. You're literally playing a party. It draws a map for you on the, on the lower screen. You affect the map with your stylus, a lot of fun stuff. Anyway, what are you been playing? Surprisingly enough, I have actually spent most of the past week or so playing Minecraft with some friends. Uh, it's been a while since I've really touched it. We were playing just this crazy mod, a whole bunch of mods that one of them put together. And part of it was this thing called Blood Moon, where every time the moon rises, there's a chance it's a blood moon. And when that happens, like a, a hundred times the number of monsters spawn around you and try and kill you. And it's ridiculous. They basically um, ripped that from Terraria. Oh, it's hilarious. Oh, it's, it's funny as hell. And then that server imploded somehow. Too many mods? No, they were trying to set up another server with other mods, and it somehow got erased. So they decided okay. to start over with Agrarian Skies 2 because there's a sequel to Agrarian Skies. I'm not familiar with very many Minecraft mods, I'm afraid okay. so. Agrarian Skies was a hardcore mod where you started out on, I think it was a nine by nine plot of land and you had to not die. Okay. And you had little quests that you could work through to get more supplies. In this one, you start on like a big ass windmill and there's one plot of dirt. Interesting. And you have trees and you have to somehow survive. You have to basically not starve to death. And right now, the people I'm playing with, one of the guys is just, 
absolutely ridiculous at Minecraft. And he's already got some automation stuff going where like he has an infinite supply of cobblestone because it's constantly making him cobblestone. And now he's getting an infinite supply of ore because he has one machine that's making gravel. And then it's pulverizing the gravel and then feeding it into a thing that sifts it and gets all the ore out of it. Fair enough. It just does this all while we're pissing off the other things. Um, So that's been a lot of fun because it's crazy, but it's way beyond my skill level of Minecraft. I imagine it'd be fairly easy to set up once you have, you know, explicit instructions of how to do so. So the thing is, it's got like a quest book for it that's in the game. And as you complete quests, you get rewards. And so you'll get other things thrown in there. So you'll get the plants you need to plant. As you work through stuff, you get stuff that will help you survive. Sounds like fun. So that's basically what he did was just crank through a bunch of that stuff. And then now he's just gone absolutely berserk. I think the second day he was in the nether. Does he have a job or is he just kind of? No, he's just a savant when it comes to Minecraft. He was in the nether and then he was at the end. Like he was in the end mining because he wanted to build stuff with it. All right. Why not? It's funny. We have the end cake or whatever just sitting on a table in the middle of our base because he randomly goes there to mine stuff. Fair enough. So it it has made me realize a couple things about Minecraft, which are kind of funny. And that's that it has been a very long time since I have come anywhere close to vanilla Minecraft. No mods at all. (laughs) And it also, I've never beaten Minecraft. It's always been messing around with mods. It's always been goofing off and building stuff, but I've never actually beaten the game. Beating the game is killing the Ender Dragon. Yes? Correct. Yes. Okay. All right. That's something I'm debating on doing is setting up a vanilla Minecraft server and inviting people to play and actually like kind of go through and no mods vanilla Minecraft, set up a little town and try to win. Honestly, I've been wanting to set one up on a Raspberry Pi and just create a server with that. <laughs> I've wanted to do that for a very long time, so I'm, I think it might not be a bad idea. Uh-oh. Going all kinds of crazy now. Oh, it's <laughs> 30 bucks. Yeah, I'll yeah. be fine. <laughs> Please excuse us. We are currently experiencing technical difficulties. We will be right back. So, can so, indie succeed without being quirky? Kind of before we get to that, there's some things I think we should discuss about just indies in general. Several and questions that we got to really answer. Like, what for, is an indie? Like, what makes it an indie? What makes an indie an indie? I know that I had brought up a discussion point with you before the episode of, gosh, what was that studio? One of those that we were talking about was Trove itself. Because Trove is made by... Try on Worlds, who makes several large MMOs. Yep. But it was a small team working on it. So what defines the fact that it's an indie? Is it the budget that they're working with? Is it that they're distributing the game themselves? The size of team. I mean, just as an example, if you're not familiar with Try on Worlds, they've done Arc Age, Rift, Defiance, End of Nations, just to name a few. And it's a very weird line because I think that there are major studios that essentially produce indie games double fine is potentially a good example because they have basically like kind of two small teams to work together but then it becomes do you define it as indie like you do with music and movies and books where to be indie you're producing it you're putting it out in the public if you take on a producer do you cease being an indie for a small development studio if you're being contracted out in order to do a title for them for example like ports for 
major games to smaller handheld systems. Are you still indie or are you now a cog in the machine, so to speak? It's kind of a weird distinction because Tryon Worlds was what, two people? Four true, this? true. I want to say it was a group of maybe less than half a dozen, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's a small number of people. Because it's voxels. You don't need yeah. a lot. They actually crowdsourced a bunch of their art assets. They built an editor into the game, like a creative mode. Yep. And you could go in and build a sword out of blocks or whatever and basically print out a file of it and email that file in and they would take it and put it up for vote and the best ones got put in the next patch. Pretty much all of our weapons and armor when we were playing the alpha were all made by other people. Yeah, but that's because it doesn't need to be. Like, that's what they want. They want a community yeah. of creative people. Yeah, and just for another example, the just as a little bit of an aside for a creative people coming out steam marketplace mm -hmm. just the steam workshop all that yeah. stuff is crowdsourced another great point would be hearthstone it was yeah. made by what the five it's, yeah it's a small development team inside of blizzard's giant hierarchy that's like five guys it's actually got like a really cool story that i think it was probably missed a pandaria it was in crunch time for getting that giant expansion out for world of warcraft so they pulled most of the team like three of the five guys to go help and then these other two guys just had it was like three or four weeks where they were working alone together in isolation and they prototyped the game play tested the game they did it all in flash so that they could do it really really quickly and they had a working copy of the game by the time the other guys came back and they were like hey guys play this and check it out and see what you think because i think we're done yeah we just, they recoded it into whatever they needed to but just yeah, like they, to polish on it really the base card game was basically done on post-it notes on a wall by these two guys and now there's how many millions of people playing it and professional tournaments but is that an indie or is that blizzard it's obviously blizzard but are they publishing an indie title from team five by the way i just did a quick google search because dan and i had discussed this earlier and team five is the name of the team that actually developed Hearthstone, the sub-team within Blizzard. Because it's not, it's not the Diablo programmers. Diablo is a team. StarCraft yep. is a team. Blizzard North is Diablo, I believe. Then you have the World of Warcraft team. Yep. And now you have the whatever the crap their new first-person shooter is called. Oh, Battle, gosh, I don't know. Battle something or other. Yeah. I don't remember what it's called. I don't either, and I'm, but I am <laughs> kind of curious now. I'll let you know in a minute. But that's the thing, is like, can those even be considered indie games? I don't know. It really depends on if it's a budget thing or not. It's called Overwatch, by the way. Yep, I just finished loading as well. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say a combination of the three. Budgets, staff and time. I think they're all debatable though, which is kind it of the is. bad part. The, but, in, but it's also a good part too. If you look at staff, where's the cutoff? Is it 10 people? Is it 100 people? I don't know, man. I feel like anything over 50 would be more than enough to say it's a larger budget, but, an actual studio. Right. As opposed but to but is title. it is there small boutique indie? Are there different classifications? Is there a like a mid-range developer? We don't have the answers to this. No, of course. Very this awesome. is spitballing. Please. Email us, podcast at loadedcartgaming.com. Let us know what you think. We'll review the emails. Yeah. <laughs> it's a crazy thing to think about. If it's budget, I can understand Hearthstone being immediately off the list because Blizzard makes how many... How many they, billions a year? For some reason, I think I read a stat the other day that Hearthstone pulls in like 10 million a month or something like that. 10 I, or 20 I, million a month, I, which is nuts anyway. But that's the thing is, you know, does having Blizzard's giant pile of money behind them... Just throwing it out there. Activision made 4 billion in 2014 and 850 million from Hearthstone and Destiny. Destiny only made 850 million, whereas Hearthstone made 4 billion. Just gonna throw yeah. that out there. 
<laughs> yeah, I don't think it can be considered indie if we're going by how much it's going to make at the end. It's not how much it makes in the end. It's how much they had to make it with. Oh, okay. I don't know. That's the, the, that's budget. the budget I'm talking about. Like The fact that Blizzard has $500 bajillion to throw at development of a game, Blizzard is not an indie. No one would remotely make that argument. Not even a chance. Not even, not even close. But then we have Tryon Worlds, which has made quite a bit of profit and is considered a larger studio. I would consider a larger studio considering right. the sheer amount of games they, they have out right now. They've got five active games right now. Four right. of them I just discussed. But have, active games are easier and require smaller teams than producing the game to begin with. Certainly. But when you look at Rift, the sheer quality of Rift, and mm. it is because it is a higher high quality title. Oh, I, yeah. I, I'm thinking it's about a large studio. I mean, if you want to get down to budgets and staff, I think arguably... Actually, I don't even think it's arguably. I think you can safely say the most successful indie game probably in the history of video games has to be Minecraft. Unquestionably. Considering how many billions of dollars and it just sold for how much to Microsoft? It sold, I thought it was about $4 billion. That much alone. But, I mean, but the it's, fact that it was literally one developer at one point was, in time. Yeah, it was just Notch. Yeah. It was a small passion project for him that grew and grew and grew. Yeah. And then I think it was two guys for a while. It was Notch and Jeb. Yep. But you have a two-man team who made a game that sold millions and millions and millions of copies. Yeah. And yeah. Mo Yang, I think is how it's pronounced. I don't honestly know. I've always it's, called it Mojang, but I don't give yeah. a crap anyway. I'm sure if Notch really hears this, it'll obviously correct yeah. It's Scandinavian, so it's probably Mojang. Probably. Um, but Mojang is a lot more fun to say. Absolutely. Um, the success it has doesn't matter. The, the size of the team, maybe. Does I know there are indie studios out there that have 30, 40 people on staff and you know struggle to pay them all by the time they get to the end of a development cycle but that's the nature of the beast it's it's a cutthroat for the indies where ubisoft can crap out another assassin's creed game in eight the, months the, and the faceless npc games yeah the entire topic is kind of can a indie game succeed without being quirky but you think about the games that have succeeded is I'm, I'm kind of thinking is minecraft really kind of a quirky game or is it just have a really did he just not give a crap about graphics did his best and then just focused on gameplay i would say yes to all of those like, okay let's focus on one at a time yes to quirky well i think quirky is the whole package Okay. Minecraft is a quirky game. When you see Minecraft, it's this weird little game with the blocks. When someone watches their kid play Minecraft for the first time, because that's a lot of people's exposure to it that didn't see it, haven't seen it, don't know what it is, whatever few people are left in the world that don't know what it is. It, it's the weird game with My the parents, blocks. My parents, just to name a couple. Is it quirky or did Notch just kind of slap something together and then focus just on gameplay? Yes. So he definitely worked within the limits of his own technical expertise at the time. Voxels are easy to work with. That's the reason why you have seen a ton of voxel-based games come out Absolutely. since Minecraft. Because you literally just stick them together and kind of do whatever. I can look at Xbox Live Marketplace right now and see about a dozen Minecraft clones. Actually, if you really want to see crazy Minecraft clones, you should look on the iTunes store. If you type mine or craft, yep. like either of those two words, you'll you'll pop up at least probably 100 or 200 games. Yeah. Another reasonably successful one that I did a, a quote unquote season of with my other buddy Dan, Seven Days to Die. Really cool voxel-based game. Yeah, yeah. I've heard a lot of good things about it. It doesn't look like Minecraft, which makes people scratch their heads a little bit when they're like, wait, this isn't voxels, is it? It absolutely is. Yeah. Because literally voxels are the blocks yeah. that you build with. So when you're building your base... It's all block formats. It's very much laid out in a grid. 
So that's definitely Voxelbase game. That's one thing I will definitely give Trove is that their game looks phenomenal for being voxel-based. And not only voxel-based in the blocks, but you're also very much Minecraft style of imagery. The graphics are very much in Minecraft style, but a little bit more polished, I guess. I don't know how else to say that because Minecraft is definitely not polished graphics, as it were. It's rough. Another voxel-based game that is also very, very indie. Have you heard of a game called Cube World? Cube World? No, I have not. So it's a voxel-based open-world RPG. It's mostly single-player. You can fudge multiplayer in it, but for the most part, it's like imagine Zelda plus Minecraft, almost. It's interesting. It's pretty Uh, crazy. In what capacity would you say Zelda? Are we talking like original, you know, top-down Zelda or the kind of Ocarina of Time type Zelda? Kind of more towards Ocarina of Time type Zelda. Okay, so we're Uh, talking 3D type. I was thinking inspiration were Legend of Zelda, Secret of Mana, and World of Warcraft, apparently. But that's also a very, very beautiful voxel game. And the fact that it's only the two-person team is is pretty nuts. Yeah. And it's... It's it's, like a dude and his wife. And... That's got to be a passion project for them. I mean... It is. It's He's been doing it since 2011, I think. And yeah, he, so he's got a day job and he's doing this in yeah, the evenings. Pretty much. But yeah, you know, know like, that and that's another crazy voxel-based one. But yeah, voxels definitely became a gimmick. Whether they were oh, a gimmick in Minecraft, I don't know. Kind of. Because if you... It's hard to say because he kind of had to. What else was he going to do? I don't know how you would make a game even remotely like that without it. I think there's a second gimmick in Minecraft that's that's also been super, super abused. And that would be the fact that it is an open world sandbox game. Yeah. Daisy, Trove, Rust, Ark, Gary's Mod, Seven Days to Die. I could go on. Uh, (laughs) Gary's Mod's also a great example of an indie runaway hit. It's very weird and open world sandbox Uh, definitely uh, describes it. Hell, in fairness, I mean, let's be honest, a lot of the the Valve games that are out now, the ones on Steam I could think of, Counter-Strike, most of the stuff that they picked up was originally indie titles. Uh, Counter-Strike, Gary's Mod, to name a couple. The Portal group. Yep, Uh, Portal games. They were the original Portal. It's kind of based loosely off of an indie game. Team Fortress 2 wasn't even an indie game. That was just a quick two mod. Yeah, I would consider that definitely an indie game. Considering oh, yeah. it was a mod, it wasn't even the game. It just was there. I remember playing that too. Yeah, Team Fortress was awesome. We're getting a little sidetracked here, but an also awesome mod back in the day for Quake was Three Wave Capture the Flag. Yep, which made it into Team Fortress. Then there's not only just open world, but we've also got the slew of indie retro titles: Hotline Miami, Shovel Knight, Terraria. They're all retro games. You look at them. I mean, you could kind of consider the graphics and Minecraft to be retro style, but then you've got the skyboxes, which are absolutely beautiful. Just all kinds of stuff that looks really nice that you really can't consider it to be yeah, retro. I retro, I consider Minecraft, I don't really consider it pixely and retro. It's it is it's got its own style and flavor. It's definitely low fidelity. Yeah. And other people have knocked it off, but that's... That's their problem. But that's kind of the thing, is that there's a very, very fine line between what is a gimmick and what is kind of innovative and creative. Right. Trying to think of some other big indie titles that made it really big would be Limbo is a really good one. Limbo, if you don't know, is a kind of side-scrolling platformer ish but it's big thing to be atmospheric and a little creepier is that the whole game is black and white and that is a little quirky because it didn't need to be black and white i don't know of many other games that are black and white that are out there is that a gimmick is it not am i just being too sensitive about something being gimmicky for effect or is it just being artsy i think it's being artsy i think that was there for a reason that art Mm -hmm. style is there because of the fact that you're 
kind of trying to get into the fact that this is quote unquote limbo. If you haven't played limbo, please play it. I'm not going to spoil anything, but it's fantastic. Essentially, you're playing a character who's looking for his lost sister. And you're going through the levels, trying to solve the puzzles, trying to find her. And it has a very controversial ending. It's a very interesting game, to say the least. I've got an entire playthrough up on my show, but I highly recommend playing through it yourself. It's an excellent game. And I think the style is absolutely lent to that graphic style, that black and white style. It's absolutely necessary for it to have that particular atmosphere that post-apocalyptic i'm not sure if i'm going to make it atmosphere that is a fair assessment it does work really really well with the game it does make it stand out from major releases because other than what was that really weird nintendo the wii game is mad world that was black and white and all the blood was in color yep that yeah. was mad world it's a suda 51 game but yeah his style is always eclectic weird. <laughs> weird is a better word for it but i wanted to be gentle about it yeah yeah he's a very interesting character and it shows in his games which is really fun no enlist forever is fantastic you buy a lightsaber off of ebay basically and then run around and attack like the 10 most dangerous people in the world to show that you're a badass it's it's yeah. hilarious honestly i like suda 51 joints they're fun games yeah. it's just that you've got to realize that take his style with a grain of salt they're going to be weird because they're yes they're going to be weird but you're going to have a fun ride let's see another game successful indie game may or may not be a gimmick braid that definitely has a gimmick again Side-scrolling platformer. This one has a weird time travel mechanic where you can kind of rewind to keep yourself from dying. And it has some other weird stuff where you can like rewind everything but you. Yep. It's definitely quirky because it's definitely interesting, unique mechanic. Yep. Kind of, if you ignore Prince of Persia. I think you can not ignore Prince of Persia and still say it's a unique gimmick. Yeah. Yes, Prince of Persia did rewinding time, but only rewinding for the prince. With right. Brit, you could rewind multiple things, and I think they put a different better twist on it to be fair i can't recall anything else again that i have seen take that same mechanic and run with it like i don't think there have been a lot of imitators but it's on multiple platforms now it's on every device known to man that again gets back to something that you mentioned the other day about defining an indie is if you release on multiple platforms can you still be considered an indie you kind of have to at that point if you're originally on one platform because braid came out for pc first it was out on steam and then eventually once they got all the budget from all those ridiculous amounts of sales then they started porting to other consoles yeah i think steam and xbox live is where they yeah went crazy yeah because it's easy to do for xbox live since these systems are very close to pc because right. uh, hooray microsoft for once i'm actually saying that without any irony hooray microsoft that's pretty cool <laughs> and i think they were both made in xna uh oh, way back in the day if we go for another big one that i can think of off the top of my head bastion was really great it's a really really fun what i refer to as an action rpg because i like action rpgs in the vein of secret of mana because that's an action rpg it is i don't like calling games like diablo action rpgs because they're that's another topic we could talk about definition of action rpg i can probably yell about that all day but i would consider a gimmick that bastion had the really awesome narration in the game it was amazing the narrator they got that's all I can say. Just thumbs up. Amazing game. <laughs> it really was. They found a niche that hadn't been filled yet, and they filled it, and they did extremely well with that game. I can only think of one other game that has a super awesome narrator that makes the game totally better, and that is the Stanley Parable. It is absolutely hilarious. If the narrator wasn't there, that game would be just really weird. 
But the fact that you can basically just out loud have a conversation with the narrator while playing the game and he responds as if you were talking to him anyway, it makes it really funny because I have a playthrough of that one and I might have been not entirely sober when I played through it. And so (laughs) me and the narrator had some really funny discussions as the game just totally messes with your head and bends reality and does all kinds of crazy cheating, which is hilarious. But yeah, they're both solidly built on the narrator. Bastion, really good game. It has really solid mechanics. 100% better game with the narrator. I couldn't agree more. I mean, it would have been a solid game regardless, but it would not have sold nearly as well if they hadn't had oh, the narrator in. I totally can agree with that. I want to revisit the Stanley Parable in a later topic in a later podcast because I want to know is the Stanley Parable really a game? Because I want to revisit whether or not it's a game. What is a game? What is the definition of a game? As a quick synopsis, I would say yes, because it is a meta game. Like it's making fun of the nature of games. Yes. And also the nature of budgeted titles and the larger budgets and whatnot. It's a very, very excellent game. I highly recommend it. If only because it's just so off the wall. You'll definitely have several laugh out loud moments. Oh, yes. Very, very many of them. So just some other weird little works that I can think of that are in games. Not I'm out of the super mega hits now. So we have some that have controller gimmicks, like little control gimmicks, and one that I know that you love, Brothers. It's like I, a tale of two siblings or something like that. It's, it's a tale of two a, sons. It's a cute little game. Your mom gets sick. You're going through this big adventure to find the cure for her like way across this crazy mystical world but you're playing as both the younger and bigger brother of this combo and the left thumbstick and left trigger is the younger brother and the right thumbstick and right trigger is the older brother and it gets very confusing sometimes and it's it it frustrated the shit on me because it's not like you know a twin stick shooter where you're moving with one and shooting in a direction with the other one it's two totally separate things you have to keep track of on the screen and it's just weirdness and crazy i just got to a point where i just i'm done and i turned the game off and i haven't visited since and it's a fun game i liked it i like the really like the story i i played through the whole thing I, there's a really great twist at the end that i love but the game is air quotes easy because it accounts for the fact that your brain is like it's totally not wired that way short-circuited by the control scheme through like the whole game and i would love to watch people do speed runs. And as long as I get a camera of their face and them being like, ah, as they're trying to navigate these puzzles, because those would be really hilarious. There's also simulators. Uh, the, got... the, the simulator spawns. Surgeon uh, Simulator, Goat Simulator, I Am Bread, yeah. which if you haven't played that, it's out and out just one of the most ridiculous games I've ever seen. I will put a link to it in the notes of the show eventually. There's a really great video in the teen react youtube channel teens react to playing i am bread oh gosh and like they just play like the first level and it's hilarious to watch them freak out because one they've never played the game before and it's just a very weird game but achievement hunter has a great series on that too that should get linked as well because yeah Yeah. i hope it's a rage quit series because that would be absolutely hilarious it's not but it's definitely michael yelling at gavin quite a bit i think my favorite though out of all of these octodad (laughs) if you haven't played it please play it I have not played it yet. Um, it, if, if you don't want to play it, go look at my my playthrough on YouTube. I played it. It's it, it's a very short game, worth the money. You can finish it in about four hours total. Nice. It's a very quick game. Goat Simulator is one of those weird open world sandbox games that apparently they actually made a spoof of Daisy for one of its expansions or something like that. And it sounds yeah, like they're, yeah, they're zombies. Like as a goat, you attack zombies and do craziness. 
But why? Because zombies. Sure. If Call of Duty can have them, why can't Goat Simulator? I would love to discuss that as well. But speaking of runaway hits, FTL was definitely a huge, huge hit. Yeah, that one was really weird. I don't remember the final numbers, but I remember they were on Kickstarter because I backed them on Kickstarter. And I think they were looking for $9,000. It was a very little amount of money to finish up the game and get it polished and release it for PC. And they came in at like 800% of their funding goal. It was pretty ridiculous. They had originally asked for $10,000 and got 200542 Yeah, it was crazy. But it, One it, of the most successful ones on Kickstarter, 200% of what yeah, they asked for. It was nuts. Since then, they did that version of it, ported to iPad, because I was part of the alpha test team for the iPad, which was yep. actually translated really, really damn well to the iPad. That doesn't surprise me at all. Honestly, I'm surprised it wasn't an iPad game to begin with, like a tablet game to begin yeah. with. I think they did an Android port. I don't know. I honestly have no idea. But I know it's available for Mac PC and Windows. It's all DRM free, and the guys are a really great team, and it's a awesome little sci-fi roguelike. Yeah, In a weird game. way with micromanaging, it's, I think, a really good twist on it, the actual like old-school roguelike style. I find roguelikes to be very interesting because they've been cropping up quite a bit lately because of indie studios. They've got the procedurally generated maps. Like, for example, FTL is very much procedurally generated. You have the same general map, but every single lip on your giant galaxy map that you're trying to get to the other side, that stays the same, but each node inside of the galaxy changes with each playthrough. But Rogue Legacy is, I would actually call it an action RPG because you do improve with each section it's a, it's a metroidvania style and it is but yeah. it's definitely an action rpg you don't gain experience the conventional way what you do is you buy each quote-unquote level each new improvement with your character you're getting gold throughout as you're going throughout mm -hmm. the castle and then improving your character because you're not improving your character so much as you're improving your progeny because each right time you die you start off on a family line the very first of your family goes through the castle and ends up of course dying because welcome to rogue you will die a lot it's the original dark souls is rogue in my opinion <laughs> and yeah. you end up continuing down the line until finally someone destroys the final boss of the castle and recovers the treasure which is your original goal in the first place your first character's goal is to recover the treasure kill all the bosses and recover the, the treasure that's it. That's, that's so going to throw a crazy one at you right now. You know what massively popular indie game is actually a roguelike? Go on. Minecraft. I don't see how. The entire world is procedurally generated. The maps are theoretically endless. Sure. But is that really roguelike? I mean, the, the procedural generation is, by that definition, a roguelike would be Diablo 1, Diablo 2, Diablo 3. They're yeah. all procedurally generated maps. They're, Those, by that definition, they're all roguelikes. They are. But I would think roguelike, by definition, means once you die, you're done. That's the arguable part. The strict definition of roguelike is probably, yes, like NetHack, yeah. all of the adventure, all of the crazy games that came before and after that were the kind of the same genre. Most of them have permanent deaths. Some of them don't. There's Dungeons of Dreadmore, which is a graphical rogue. Like, it's literally, it's literally rogue with graphics. Road, yeah. with graphics. Has a non-hardcore mode where your game is not over when you die. I've actually never played that mode. I didn't even know it existed. I thought it was just a literal translation of rogue to a higher graphics engine with more tweaks right. and more 
paths that you could go down. I think you can do this with NetHack too, which is a variant of Rogue. I have NetHack. It's, I've made modifications to it. But with Dungeons of Dreadmore, the non-hardcore mode has saves. Huh. So when you die, you just revert back to the save. Where Rogue Legacy, I don't believe you can do that. You can't. Uh, Rogue, you definitely cannot. Minecraft, you kind of do. Like, because wherever you slept last is where you go back to. Granted, you lose everything. You drop everything. With Rogue Legacy, you continue on with your next uh, generation, has all of your gear that you previously unlocked, has all of the equipments and upgrades that you previously unlocked. Dungeons & Dreadmore, obviously it doesn't. FTL, you start over from the beginning. There's, I mean, you have three different modes. I've never beaten the game. Have you ever beaten FTL? No, I have not beaten FTL. Uh, Even on easy, I can't beat the damn thing. I should make that a quest in life. That's that's, that's definitely my quest as well. I know a couple of people who have beaten it, and uh, more power to them. Yeah, but yeah, roguelike, it's it's a very hot topic, because arguably one of the two hardest video games in the world is a roguelike, and that's Dwarf Fortress. Have people ever beaten Dwarf Fortress? Is it possible to beat Dwarf Fortress? I don't know. I have not... Hmm bothered looking but i don't know who i mean there are people insanely devoted enough to that game that they probably would play it for the rest of their life to try and beat it and probably happily fail every time i've never actually played dwarf fortress for more than 10 minutes because i can never figure the damn thing out it's pretty crazy that is the classic roguelike as in ascii text and stuff like that not a graphical one i think someone was working on making a graphical version of it but i don't remember if they did or not i'm pretty sure that fell through Uh, the funniest roguelike i've ever played that i had the most fun playing for i played it for like three or four weeks just to mess around with it there's a game called doom the roguelike i want to play that now as in yes d-o-o-m the id game as a roguelike it has projectiles it has rockets it has all of the cool stuff you want out of a doom game someone made a graphical version of it that has little tiny imps that's awesome and it makes all of the doom noises because it uses all of the sound effects from the wad files that's great it has all the music and it's super super fast pace if you play it really fast pace and it feels like you're playing doom but it's a roguelike and it's hilarious and it's awesome i I highly recommend checking that game out I will definitely add a link for that because you should play it. Like it's it's a fun game. I totally it's free too, isn't it? And it's free. Nice. It's very very free, and it's absolutely hilarious. But yeah, roguelikes are an entire thing to themselves. You have so many people now claiming that they're making roguelikes or using roguelike elements, like endless yeah. guys. Yeah. Uh, is another one coming out soon that's basically a roguelike. I don't know if your game ends when you die in that one, but I don't know. Like, it's the big procedurally generated everything is a yep. big staple of roguelikes, I think. And then you can kind of argue for the hardcore permanent death and other things of that nature of whether or not it strictly adheres to the definition of roguelike or not. But it's it's a cool genre because it, it allows a lot of flexibility because the developer doesn't have to do as much stuff theoretically. But yeah, it's just kind of cool. Yeah, like and then we have we have some other weird, weird, weird ones that I can think about there that exist. The one that's doing really, really super well right now that I would call indie and I would call quirky. And yeah. it's Rocket League. I haven't played it. I've just watched videos of it. Interesting is the word I'd choose. If you are living under a rock currently and you don't know what Rocket League is, Rocket League is a demolition combat racing game. So you you drive around, you have power up, smash into them with cars, but you're playing soccer. It's demolition derby soccer literally that it's basically think of twisted metal played with fifa and you've got it about right yeah because you're trying to kick the ball in and you can like literally take off in the air using rocket 
sits in your car and hit the ball in and it has sold millions of copies on steam and has apparently done super super well which is fantastic like i mean it's cool to see like a weird little indie do that but totally a gimmick i would say it's really it's a genre mashup because you're racing game and a sport but it's weird because there's no one else that can make that game now because people would be like oh you're just ripping off rocket league but there's the rub isn't it i mean you've got everything else that's coming out with roguelikes and nobody seems to bat an eyelash about that but if you come out with something that rips off rocket league oh you're just ripping off rocket league blah, blah, blah. yeah well that's like if someone made a uh side-scrolling voxel-based game people are gonna say they're ripping off terraria magicite came out which is honestly it's a roguelike and a voxel i don't know i don't think it's voxel based but it's certainly a, an adventure game similar to terraria but you're building things you're combining items to make new weapons you're not really building too much so like new houses or anything but you're definitely having that crafting system within a roguelike game. Yeah, and that's what makes this really, really weird is that there are double standards. It's hard to define things. It's the pornography debate, right? You can't describe when a game becomes a ripoff of another game, but you know it when you see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like art. I'm not an artist. But I know art when I see it. Right. And speaking of art in indie games, Banner Saga, Banner Saga yes. is a beautiful, going with that. beautiful game. Like, because it's all like kind of hand drawn stuff. It's this weird little RTS. Again, it's yeah. weird, but you build up this army and you get this longer and longer banner that is the accomplishments of your little Viking civilization and you kick ass and you take names and it's because Vikings. It's, it's done really, really well. It again also started as a Kickstarter. It's a small group of guys that used to work for Bioware who are now in Texas and probably because they worked for Bioware in Texas, but they split off, made their own studio, kickstarted this game and I bet they're not going to have problems funding their next game. Oh, absolutely not. Especially when you consider that they only wanted 100000 and ended up getting 724000 They did not have very much trouble at all funding that. Wonderful game, gorgeous graphics. The funny part is that I believe they got sued by someone, and I can't remember whom. Oh, they got sued by King because of Candy Crush Saga. That's right. If I recall correctly, they tried to copyright the word Saga. It was a trademark battle, actually. Trademark battle, okay. It should be trademark. If it's copyright, then... I don't think they understand how copyright works. They tried to trademark the word saga because they did trademark Candy Crush Saga. Yes. And they tried to believe that the Banner Saga would take away from that completely, which is what? Are you it, drunk? It's It definitely did not meet any of the legal criteria of causing financial damage and confusion of brands right. between right. the two. And no one was going to confuse those two games. No. And, and if the judge did not laugh that out of court, I kind of feel like that was a lost opportunity. Yeah. They survived lawsuit, kind of like Mo Yang and their Scrolls game. The Elder Scrolls. There was a nice little lawsuit suit with that too which let's be honest here come on bethesda that's a little ridiculous i think it was zenimax that sued him not bethesda but that's okay. because you know the parent company has to it's like hey hey just just chill for a minute would you <laughs> i want to talk about one more before i think it's about time to wrap up okay evo land evo if you haven't played evo land i have not it is on my list to play i highly recommend it essentially it goes through the history of games you start off as you recall how final fantasy and dragon warrior or dragon quest depending on where you're from was kind of a grid-based game right yeah. ultima mm -hmm. stuff like that you start off that way you're moving around as a grid-based system and then you slowly as you're getting more and more unlocks you're picking up more discs you're picking up more unlocks you unlock more and more of 
the history of gaming. You progress to Legend of Zelda. You progress to 3D graphics. You progress into the later Final Fantasy titles. Like there's a huge homage to Final Fantasy VII in there. You continue on to action RPGs, which we'll get into that one later, whether or not it's actually an action RPG. You originally start off with a heart system with Legend of Zelda. Then you get into hit points. Then you get into save files. You can't even save the game until later on in the game itself. <laughs> it's very easy up until the point where you unlock saving, but it's very interesting to see the history. Because if you grew up in the early 80s through the 90s, you'll recognize a lot of this. And it's just wonderful to see that particular bit of gaming history unfold in front of you. It ends up with a really, really cool battle at the end of the game. It's got a great boss fight, and it's really the only boss fight of the game. You could probably complete it in anywhere between four to six hours, depending on how quickly you can configure out the quests. Yeah, it definitely caught my eye for much the same reason, because it looks like it's a nice little hodgepodge mishmash of all of the RPG styles from the old school Final Fantasy adventure, which as you should know, evolved into the Secret of Mana series of games, which yep. is probably my favorite series of games ever in the history of ever. Secret um, of Evermore, Secret of Mana, and I think there was Mystic Secret Quest that came was into a totally different game. Okay, I'm thinking of Final Fantasy Mystic Quest, which the Quest weird. series evolved into the Super Nintendo version, which was yeah. Secret of Mana, correct? No. No? So Final Fantasy Adventure was the Japanese game is Saiken Densetsu, and that was the first one. Second one was Secret of Mana. The third one was, it's called Saiken Densetsu 3 because it never got brought to the US. Okay. And then the fourth one, technically there was Legend of Mana, which came out as a PlayStation game. It's available on the PlayStation Network. It's a fun little game. It's it's really, really weird because you basically play levels to unlock little level pieces and you build the world because you're trying to rebuild the world. And each place you put down unlocks a different level to play through the stories. There's like four or five different paths to beating the game and they each unlock a different story. And it's, it it's, it's, Dark a, pretty, it's a pretty cool little game. And then Secret of Mana 4 was... Uh, PlayStation 2 title called Dawn of Mana. Interesting. Uh, and I don't think I've ever played anything then, beyond Secret of Mana. Yeah, then there was like a Game Boy Advance game. I think they, they remade uh, Final Fantasy Adventure as Children of Mana, I think. They made an RTS at some point in time. It's there's, it's a crazy series. It went all over the place. I miss it. I love the uh, that style of slash em up. Secret of Mana and Seiken Densetsu 3 are both amazing games. One you can really kind of only play by emulator. Yeah, because you have to have the translation on it. But it Providing you don't read Japanese, of yes. course. If you read Japanese, I don't. Means, but I also do not. And, uh, but yeah, so it starts with that style of game, and then it yeah. kind of evolves through and starts getting into like the actual normal Final Fantasy, where you stand on this side of the screen, I stand on that side of the screen, and we battle via menu options, uh, <laughs> and then eventually goes back into the action RPG style of the modernish Zelda games where you're third person running around smacking things with a stick. Yeah, so I think we can probably wrap it up. We're at over an hour. I don't think we ever actually answered the question. Can indie games succeed without being quirky? The answer is probably yes. I don't know of any real specific examples of ones that have. I think it's a fine combination of things. It's the indies have a freedom to develop stuff that big studios don't because of producers and and investors and shareholders and yeah, the money. It's all about the almighty dollar, man. And they're the ones that are free to innovate and they're the ones that are free to to do artsy things like the journey and which I think is actually a major title now. I don't I don't know. Not sure. Yeah, but art games usually don't sell very well and they're the ones that get to take all the risks, unfortunately. So I think they can succeed without a gimmick because I mean, again, it's really nebulous. Hearthstone without a doubt succeeded without a gimmick because it's 
just basically a card it's game. A CG game, yeah. Very Dem- simple, and that its gimmick is that it's simple, and that's always a good gimmick to have when yeah. it's simple and fun. But on the flip side, we've got something like Fez, which is a huge gimmick, and. Also, there's no denying that Fez succeeded wildly beyond the expectations of everybody else. Who would expect that kind of game, that that platformer, to succeed like that? I mean, everybody's done platformers before. Who cares? But then you have the rotating platformer, which literally you were rotating the entire map around you in order to go around the spires in Fez. Wildly successful. I don't know. What can you really accomplish as an indie versus a major studio it's i think they can definitely do it it's just it's a lot harder for them to mostly just because of exposure like it's hard to get seen as an indie it is and it's with platforms that have come out like steam and to a lesser extent origin and good old games it's easier to get noticed but then you have the absolute flood of people that have come out and saying hey i can make a game why don't i do that and then you've got tools like rpg maker which makes mm-hmm. it infinitely easier to make games. I'm making one right now, for example, because it's a rapid design tool. Yeah, and that's definitely something that we can get into in another episode later, too, is because there's Game Maker, Unity is getting much easier to do. Yeah, The tools that are out there are getting easier and easier, so you're going to see more and more indie games, probably, as people do what they've always wanted to do. I mean, we've got a, a friend who owns a game studio who's made a good living with Unity. Mm-hmm. Frog Dice Games, look them up. They've come out with several great games that have come out for Unity. Mm-hmm. It's a growing industry, and it's it's going to be great to see what people do. All said and done, sometimes I love the gimmicks. Sometimes it's super cheesy, but sometimes yeah. they're really, really fun. There's a reason Minecraft has 400 bajillion players. That's, yeah, because it's an addictive, fun complete you basically have a blank slate of a world to just do whatever with have fun go nuts install mods be crazy yeah. all right so i think we're pretty wrapped up for the so scheme of things as always folks you can get in touch with us at podcast at loadedcartgaming.com you can watch paul on what's paul playing today you can watch dan on chop the viking if you want to get in contact with us directly if you don't want to throw it out there into ether and see if anybody is there at podcast you can contact me at paul at loadedcartgaming.com you can contact dan at chop at loadedcartgaming.com check out the websites loadedcartgaming.com if we haven't said it enough <laughs> no what what was that website again oh really that's about all I had, you can find us on Facebook, you can find us on Twitter, you can find us on Google Plus if you're really into that kind of thing. I've had much less success on Google Plus than I have on, on Facebook, certainly. Long story short, please, I implore you, provide feedback. Seriously, email us, leave comments on the on the Facebook page, leave comments on Loaded Card Gaming. They're open. Please do. If you have questions, concerns, if you want to yell at us for a bit, just leave a really hateful email in there. It's fine, too. Next week, we'll be back again with more Loaded Card Podcast. Have a good day. If you're not, if you're wrong.